You know, one thing I, uh, I noticed a few years ago about the, one of the characters in this movie, Elf, is the elf that uh, is kind of exposing that Buddy is not actually an elf. Does anybody know who that actor is? No, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell's the elf, yeah. He's the, the human pun. The little elf right there that, that says, you know, good thing Buddy didn't find out. That's Peter Billingsley. Anybody have a clue who that is? The kid who was told he would shoot his eye out in a Christmas story. Yeah, it's the same guy, just grown up. Well, I guess he's an elf, so he's not really grown up, but you know what I mean. I just always thought that was a cool connection. So, uh, this week, we're on Elf. In the early service, we actually did a different movie. We did Charlie Brown Christmas. So, if you want to hear that, you'll have to listen to it online. But uh, we've got Elf for this week, and we, we wanted to do, to give out the Christmas movie, both in this service and in the last service, is to see who was the furthest from home on Christmas. So, if on Christmas Day, you were out of town, would you please stand up? If you feel, okay, got a couple. All right, how many of you were out of the state? Remain standing, everybody else sit down, if you're out of the state, okay? How many of you were in a neighboring state to Virginia? Remain uh, stand. oh, I guess that's all the states. If you're further than a neighboring state of Virginia, remain standing, everybody else sit down. Okay. <laughs> all right, we're left to two. Where were you guys at? Florida and... Canada to New York. I think you guys probably won. You guys traveled to a completely different country. All right, here you go. Here's your prize. Good job. Perfect. You guys can watch that. So, in this elf clip, Buddy finds out that he's not an elf. And that kind of spurs something that all of us have the same desire, and that's the desire to belong. You see, Buddy realizes that he doesn't really belong in the North Pole with the elves. And that's why he leaves. So we get to see that a little bit. But I want you guys to kind of find someone else who didn't belong amongst his own people. And look in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 1. So he finds out that he's not an elf. And worse than that, after he finds out that he's not an elf, he also finds out that his dad, his biological father, is on the naughty list. And that just throws him into a tantrum. He cannot stand that. How can his dad be on the naughty list? If you know the story, he travels to New York through the gumdrop forest and, and says bye to Mr. Narwhal, who says, bye, buddy, hope you find your dad. Right? And he gets to New York, and he does all the things he's not supposed to do, like takes the chewed-up gum and thinks it's candy. And, and remember, he uh, sings a Christmas carol for his dad because his dad thinks, since he's dressed like an elf, that he's a Christmas gram or something. He ends up living with his dad and finds out his dad's not the person that, that he thought he would be. And a lot of times we can deal with similar family situations like that in our own lives. You know, everybody wants to fit in somewhere. Everybody wants to belong. I'm going to move this just a little bit this way. And since everybody wants to belong, we have to have a place to belong for us to feel welcomed. I've never met anybody who says, I feel like I want to just not belong anywhere. Everybody I've talked to has that sense of belonging. And I want you to know that making someone feel like they belong is actually the first step to winning someone towards Christ. Making someone feel like they belong is the first step to winning someone towards Christ. If you've ever struggled with evangelism and and trying to witness to somebody, the first step for you is to make someone feel like they belong. I know a lot of people would 
wish that someone who shows up to church would start behaving the right way right away. Or maybe they would start believing right away. But I can tell you that that's not the order that most people go in. They oftentimes have to feel like they belong first. So uh, a pastor friend of mine came up with this phrase a long time ago. He said, they have to belong before they believe. Someone has to feel welcome. Someone has to feel part of the family before they're going to believe what you say you believe. Why would they have any reason to believe it if they don't feel like they belong? And someone who ends up going through that process and ends up believing, they have to actually believe what you believe. They have to believe in the gospel. They have to believe in the word before they start behaving, before they start acting like a Christian. You see, too often in churches, we expect people to walk through that doors and that those doors are just some magical gateway to clean all their sins off. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it in the building, okay? And many of you wouldn't have either. That's not how it works. Someone doesn't show up and act exactly like they act and and speak the Christian lingo they're supposed to speak and know what the CLC means and knows what what, uh, the Lottie Moon offering means and all that kind of stuff. They, They don't know all that stuff because they haven't belonged yet. We often get it backwards, we think someone's supposed to show up to church and they're supposed to act right and they're supposed to do things right. And, and maybe if they start doing that, then they'll believe. And if they believe, then we'll let them in. Right? But see, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go up to the uh, apostles before they were apostles. He didn't go up to them and the fishermen and tax collectors and said, you know what? Believe and then follow me. He just said, follow me. And they followed. Then he worked on the believing part. Then he worked on the behaving part. So you have to belong before you believe, and you have to believe before you behave. I've got a good example of this from one of my old pastors, Dr. David Clay in Amherst, Virginia. He uh, started a church out in Palmyra, Virginia. It was uh, kind of a replant. The church had about 16 people in it, and by the time he left, it had over 1,000. Every time they tried to build a a big enough building to fit everybody in, they had grown so much that they couldn't fit everybody in that. So they kept having to redraw and redesign the buildings. And he went by this philosophy, and it's by this philosophy that God was able to grow this church. And he told me a story about a woman who started coming to his church. And nobody in the church could stand this woman because she came every Sunday morning completely hungover. And they just couldn't stand that. How could this woman think that it's okay to come to church hungover? And you see, we often think we got to make that person start behaving right. But you see, he wanted to make her feel like she belonged. So instead of going the typical direction, he said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make you feel welcome. We want you here. So I'll make a deal with you. Once you're here at church, how about you start getting drunk on Friday night instead of Saturday night? I'm not kidding. That was the first step. Go out and party on Friday night instead of Saturday night. Then when you show up Sunday morning, you won't be hungover anymore. You can listen to the sermon. You can worship with us. You know, you won't have booze on your breath. It'll be better for you, not just for us. So she agreed. Starting getting drunk on Friday night. Starting getting more involved in church. That same woman is now a children's minister at a church of over 4,000. And it started with making her feel like she belonged. Not making her feel like an outcast. And you see, church, we need to do the same things because I can guarantee you that there will be people walking in these doors that won't feel like they belong. It takes a lot of courage to get inside these doors in the first place. And once they're here, they're afraid they're going to be judged. I can guarantee you if you surveyed every person that doesn't come to church, it's probably because they feel like if they did come to church, they would be judged. 
I've got a friend of mine that I've, been, uh, I've met recently, met through doing some outreach in the community, and I've been inviting him to church, and he jokes that he would burst into flames if he walked in the door. But see, those are the exact kind of people that need to be inside the doors. Amen? And we need to do our job to make sure they feel like they belong. Because the truth is, the sad truth is, making people feel unwelcome is a lot of the reason people don't come back to a church. And I've heard lots and lots of stories about that. It's a lot of reasons why when someone's visiting a church and they feel unwelcome, they, they hear the lingo of the church and they don't really understand it. Maybe they don't make their kids feel welcome or maybe they don't you know, say hi to them or something like that. You know, There's a lot of reasons why someone may feel unwelcome and the church needs to start being conscientious of that. You see, a lot of times we've become smell blind to our ways. What does that mean? Have any of you ever been a teenager and maybe you stank a little bit and you didn't realize you stank? Someone had to tell you, hey, maybe you should put on some deodorant. See, my Mima had this great phrase. She would say, if you can smell yourself, everybody else has been smelling you for a week. <laughs> and so in our church, we can become smell blind to the things that, that we may be doing wrong because we don't know that they're wrong. The sanctuary might stink, and we don't know it because we're here every week. We may need someone else to tell us, hey, your sanctuary stinks. Maybe there's something in the carpet. I don't know what's going on. Now, that's not the case because George does his job and a wonderful job at that. But maybe there's some other areas we're blind to. Maybe we think we're welcoming, but if someone came into our church for the first time, they would say we weren't. Maybe we think we're loving, but if someone were to come and try to join our fellowship and we turn them away for whatever reason, they might not think that. So we need to kind of wake up to these things, make sure that people do feel welcome. But when we don't feel welcome, when we don't feel like we belong, I want to encourage you that you're not alone. Even if you're a Christian, you're not alone. Jesus himself did not fit in amongst his own people. Read this in verse 9 of John chapter 1. It talks about Jesus being the light. And it says that Jesus, the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. Yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God to those who believe in his name, who were not just those who were born, not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Jesus was not only rejected by his own people, which that's got to hurt. I want you to imagine if there was a building and it was on fire burning and you ran in to save people and they said, we don't want you. That's got to hurt. It's got to say something about those people. He was rejected by his own people, but not only that, eventually he was humiliated by them, tortured by them, even murdered by them. The same people that he came to save. Talk about a sense of lack of belonging. You didn't have to do that. Jesus didn't have to come down. Yet he was completely rejected, humiliated, tortured, murdered by his own people. You know, Jesus could have easily packed his bags and went home. This earth is not his home. He didn't come here for his sake. And, you know, I think it's so interesting because when Jesus is on the cross, there are men taunting him. If you really are who you say you are, why don't you come off that cross? You know, Jesus could have. All right. I'm fed up with y'all. I'm done. Going back home. But he didn't. 
And not only did he not, it says in this passage that the entire world was created through him. At the beginning, it says that he was in the beginning with God, that he was the word. And we see God spoke into existence. Jesus was the physical manifestation of that creation happening. And so it came through him. It also says in Hebrews that Jesus holds all things together, that nothing can be held together without him. Even the smallest molecules are held together because of Jesus' existence. So I want you to apply that to what happened to Jesus when he came to die for us. They were making fun of him, come off that cross. Not only could he have come off that cross, but if he wasn't God for even a millisecond, the molecules and the nails that held him to the cross would have disapparated. He held together the very nails that held him to the cross. If that isn't love for people that rejected you, I don't know what is. And you see, we get so defensive in our culture anytime someone offends us. We get up in arms about everything, even the war on Christmas. But we don't realize that those same people, this same world rejected our our Lord and Savior. And he told us and warned us that we would be rejected too. And what, what did he say? That when they reject us, they're not really rejecting us. Who are they rejecting? Him. So I want to say, if people aren't rejecting you, if people aren't pushing back against you, maybe you're not looking a whole lot like Jesus. Maybe we need to be more of Jesus so that we incur that kind of persecution like he did. Are we willing to be the same way that Jesus was around other people? You know, in God's family, everybody has the opportunity to fit in. It doesn't mean everybody will, but everybody has the same opportunity. God has made salvation available to all people, and we as God's people need to make sure that they feel like they belong, no matter their past, no matter even their present, no matter their social status, their financial status, their race, their their gender, doesn't matter. The opportunity is available for all, and we need to make sure that we are doing our best to make sure they know that. You know, the church is often thought of as a sanctuary for saints. That's wrong. The church is a hospital for sinners. All people are welcome. People will also disappoint us. As we saw in Buddy's story, he was disappointed when he found out his true family. He wasn't very excited about it. He was upset that his dad was on the naughty list. And I will tell you that our family can disappoint us. I know our our, our biological family maybe can. People we consider family. Sometimes even our church family can disappoint us, can beat us down, can make us feel like we're worth nothing. And it's sad, but that's what happens. Families are dysfunctional. However, There is a heavenly father who will never disappoint us, who will never let us go. He says nobody can pluck us from the father's hand. Nobody can escape the love of God. One of the reasons so many people are hesitant to connect at church, I know we talk about that a lot. We want everybody to connect. A lot of times we don't realize what someone has been through at previous churches. Maybe they've been burned before. Maybe that's why it was hard for them to walk through the doors for the first time. Church people didn't treat them so nice. 
We often don't think about that. We just judge those people because they're not here or because they're not connecting. Sometimes we have to do the part of making them feel like they belong. And that doesn't just mean welcoming them and say, you know what, you can come. No, it says not only can you come, we want you here. We want you to feel welcome and we want to do our best to make sure you're comfortable here. And if we're not doing that, we're really not putting our best effort forward. Even Buddy's family in the movie did their best to accommodate him. He was an elf. <laughs> At least he thought he was. He consisted on a 100% sugar diet, which means he poured syrup on his spaghetti and ate candy and, and drank syrup and all that kind of weird stuff. But see, they were at least willing to, everybody really, especially except for his dad, was really to accommodate that part of him because they wanted him to feel like he belonged. We at the church maybe need to do some of those things as well. Maybe someone doesn't necessarily dress like we do. Maybe they don't talk like we do. Maybe they don't act like what we act like. Maybe they don't like the things we like. Maybe they don't agree with opinions we have. That's okay. We can still make sure they feel like they belong. So we have to really resist this negative church culture that we've created. I want you to really think about how many times you've heard the phrase church people and how many times it's ever been used in a positive sense. I've been a pastor for almost six years now. And I know a lot of people have been pastors much longer than I have. A lot of people have grown up in church much longer than I have. And I still have yet to hear someone use the phrase church people, and it means something nice. That's sad. You know, I've heard someone once say church would be great except for church people. But that's the reality. The church is made up of people. People are fallen. People are broken. People make wrong decisions. We're going to hurt each other. We have to be willing to accept our differences, accept that we're not all the same, accept that we make mistakes, and forgive each other just like Jesus forgave us when we made the biggest mistake of all by hanging him on a cross. Amen? Anybody listening this morning? You with me? Let's switch over to Matthew chapter 5. Because I want you to realize something. This passage talks about Jesus being the light of the world. It says he was the true light and he came to the world so that the world could have light. But did you know the light of the world in the Bible is not only limited to Jesus? Read this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is Jesus' words and he says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp just to put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a stand to give light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yes, Jesus is the light of the world, but if we have part of Jesus, we are the light of the world too. If he's the big sinner candle, we're all the other little ones. He wants us to light up the world so that the world can see him clearly. And if we're not the light of the world, I think Jesus kind of makes a comparison with that. He talks about us being the salt of the earth as well. And he says, if the salt isn't doing its job anymore, it gets thrown out and trampled on. Well, if we're unlit candles, what good are we doing to the world? How can God use us if we're not willing to shine his light? 
And so to shine his light, to make people feel welcome, to make people, people feel like they belong, we have to be connected to the light. And unfortunately, the Christmas season a lot of times brings out the worst in people. Sometimes it can bring out the best. See, I, I see kind of two sides to this. One, people are so bogged down by making sure the shopping is done on time, making sure the food is there, making sure the family gets in, making sure we keep the relatives who are always arguing from stopping to argue. It's so stressful. And that's why so many of us are just relieved when Christmas is over. And we may not admit it here in church, but it's true. Christmas day, maybe at the end of the day or even December 26th, the tree comes down, the decorations are packed up, we're done. And that's sad because you guys know that Christmas starts on Christmas Day. It doesn't end. But we're so stressed out about it that we're ready for it to be over. And a lot of times when we're stressed out, we a lot of times don't act like we're very Christ-like. We say, remember the reason for the season, but we're so busy yelling at the retail workers and getting mad at the waitress who had to work on Christmas Eve because she didn't bring her order out in time that we don't act very Christ-like. And I'm only speaking that from experience because... That's been me a lot this season. My wife had to confront me in the mall yesterday and say, a lot of these people are seeing how you act. And you may be the only Christ that they'll ever see. And that broke my heart. Because here I am at church every week talking about remembering the reason for the season, and I'm out in the mall and acting like that's not the reason. So I can only imagine if I'm struggling, some of you are too. And when Christmas is over, maybe some of you have been very joyful and very loving and very generous and very giving. But then December 26th hit, then that all goes away. A lot of times we can be those type of people too. We forget Christmas when December's not around. We're very joyous during the Christmas season, but the rest of the year we're a bunch of cotton-headed ninny-muggins. That's not how Christ wants us to live either. You've heard it said before, for the Christian, every day can be Christmas and every day can be Easter. We can remember what God has done for us, both in his coming and in his resurrection, to point us to the resurrection that is coming again. So I want you to join me in breaking the cycle. Christmas isn't all just about traditions and how things should be. I know one family that I think of at a church I used to go to, they completely separated the American holiday of Christmas from celebrating Jesus' birth. And I don't think that would necessarily be too bad for us to do either, or at least to try. You see, on, uh, on December 25th, they celebrate Xmas, is what they call it. You know, a lot of people get mad at that. They're like, oh, it's taking the Christ out of Christmas. Well, that's not totally true. The X is the the Greek letter chi, which stands for Christ. So that's just an abbreviation. But they, see, they celebrate Xmas where they do the, the presents thing and they celebrate Santa Claus, do all that fun stuff, singing Christmas carols. And then a week later, they focus on Jesus' birth because they realize the culture has tried to cram the two together and they don't always fit. There's not room in the true Christmas for all this stuff our culture has put on us. So they try to separate the two. Not saying we need to do that, but it wouldn't be bad to try it one time. Maybe one year we don't focus on presents and turkey and all the fixings and we just focus on Jesus himself. So we have to break the cycle eventually. I want you to take these three things away from today as the band comes up to play our last song. 
Number one, Jesus, who was the light of the world, was rejected by the world and his own people. Jesus himself, rejected by his own people. If that's the cause, number two, we, as the light of the world, will be rejected by the world and maybe some of our own people too. If we act how Jesus wanted us to act, just like him, you know, the name Christian meaning little Christ, if we act like a little Christ, why should we act to be treated any different than he was? And number three, if you want to belong, then start by making someone else feel like they belong. We're so self-centered that it's always all about us, even when we won't admit it. But we're very seldom do we think, well, maybe someone else has got it harder than I do. Maybe someone else is struggling more than me. Maybe my problem right now in this instant is really big to me, but to someone else, it's a molehill. Maybe that person is going through something that I can't even imagine. And you feel like you deserve to be long in the family of God. I know we've all felt that way. And here's the thing. The only reason we do deserve it is because we don't deserve it. And Jesus came and died and paid the penalty for us so that we could deserve it. We do have the right to be called children of God, sons and daughters. But not because of anything that we did. Only because of what he did. And I think about it, we often in our lives, even though we weren't there when Jesus was dying, even though we weren't the ones mocking him, sometimes we wonder if God is real and we ask him to prove it to himself and he's done it time and time again, but yet we're not looking. Why? Because it's dark. And instead of looking at the light, we're looking inside ourselves. So I encourage all of you to remember that the light of the world was rejected. And if we are also the light of the world, we're going to be rejected too. Let's at least make it so we feel like we belong with each other. Father, I thank you for this time that we can gather together. God, I, I pray for those who have never known the true light, Father, who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that today maybe they came into this place because they were curious. Maybe they were embarrassed to come here. Maybe they didn't really want to come, but they forced themselves to. For whatever reason, they are here for a purpose. And God, maybe that purpose is that you want them to become one of those lights that you've talked about that. You want them to accept you as your Lord and Savior. God, I know you want that for the whole world. Maybe they are here because the opportunity is available. I pray that they take advantage of that opportunity, that they would pray something like this, God, I am a sinner, and God, I don't want to be anymore. Cleanse away my sins, make me a new creation. I want to follow you the rest of my days and never turn back. And if you prayed that just now and you meant it, you are belonging in the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of Christ Most High the Messiah, the one who came to save. Or maybe you're here and you realize just like I have that you haven't been making it all about Jesus this season. Like we learned in the early service, maybe we have an idol that we hold on to during the season that's more important than God. We need to let go of that. We need to repent of that. 
We need to get on our knees and ask for forgiveness. Maybe we need to forgive one another. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would allow these people to respond appropriately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand, sing, respond.